Welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. My name's Ali Hill, and as a psychologist, it's been my profession to connect with people's stories. And when you think about it, it's the conversations that we have with ourselves and with others that truly shape us. It's through exploring these stories that we start to find a pathway around the magnificent and the remarkable question. So what does it actually take to live a standout life? Throughout this podcast, I sit down with influential women and a few good men, and we chat about how they live a life of purpose while still making progress. We dig into their stories, both the successes and the struggles, and in doing so, we get some amazing insights into what it takes to live big and ultimately how they've found the wins in this crazy, busy world. So let's dive deep into what it takes to live a standout life. During this episode, I sat down with one of Australia's most popular female athletes, captain of both the Queensland Firebirds and the Australian national netball team, the Diamonds. Laura Geitz has had a stellar career. Laura has won both silver and gold medals at the Commonwealth Games. She led the Australian Diamonds to beat the New Zealand team after a 12-year drought in the Constellation Cup and has also won back-to-back championships with the Queensland Firebirds. In this episode, Laura describes feeling like a fish out of water when she started playing in representative netball back at the age of 13, when everyone else had their brand names and she had her Canterbury shorts on, and she describes not even really being sure if this is what she wanted to do until she got on the netball court. And there was something about the game, there was something about the competitive nature that just meant that she wanted to stay there. And clearly, her career is a tribute to that. She also spoke about how important family is to her and how tough it was back in 2013 when she lost her father from a sudden accident on the farm, but how his legacy continues to live in the decisions that she makes. She talked about how important it is for her to be able to turn up the best version of herself and she has some great insights about how all of us can do that in our lives. So sit back and enjoy the conversation with the beautiful, the authentic and the genuine Laura Geitz. Laura, welcome. Welcome to the studio. Great to have you here. Thank you. Great to be here. Look, I just wanted to start, I guess, by exploring what was that moment like, the moment you've just won the grand final, the second back-to-back grand final with the Firebirds, and you've gone back to, I don't know whether it was the dressing rooms or somewhere, but you that moment of where you, you tell your teammates that you are pregnant, what was that moment like for you? Yeah, it was um, obviously a really wonderful moment for me to be able to tell the girls. Um, I think um, there was a lot of things going through my head in the lead up to that game and I had known for four weeks um, prior to that grand final that I was pregnant. So um, that alone in keeping that from the girls was a really difficult challenge. It's been really hard. (laughs) Did you think that they might have... Yeah. Found out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, we live pretty much in each other's pockets, yeah. um, you know, during whether it's training, we're sort of jumping in and out of the ice bars after a training session. So, you know, the girls were obviously we see each other in our swimmers and I'm going, my body is changing by yeah, the day. Right. Um, Boobs are getting bigger. Yeah, like, sure, yeah all these things. Yeah. Uh, Ramelda Aiken did say to me one day at, um, at the gym, she said, oh, just something a little bit different about you. I, I just, I don't know what it is. And she's looking at me up and down and You're I was like, your tongue, oh yeah. <laughs> gosh, here we go. She, she knows. So um, there are a few little bits and pieces that happen along the way that I thought 
there were definitely some of the girls were on to me and I was unwell as well. So I was sort of running away um, from training to the bathrooms. and um, But they genuinely, including the coach, Rose, had no idea. Wow, um, yeah. So um, I think driving out to that grand final, there were so many things going through my mind. Obviously, first and foremost, I just thought, I just want to win this game with these girls. Um, so that can be the priority and that can be the main celebration. And then there's this icing on the cake to be able to tell them all in the change room. And I had it in my head how I wanted it to go. And I remember telling mum that this is what I wanted it to look like. And um, yeah, it was just a big huddle. You know, we'd won the game in a pretty spectacular fashion for the second time in a row and emotions were high as it was. Um, And we just sat in a big circle and each girl went around and said their mind about how they felt during the game and um, and then it was my turn at the very end and um, I, I told them that, you know, that was my last game in the purple dress and I was moving on to this great job opportunity and um, they all, I saw a few tears beginning um, because they were sort of, I could see some of them trying to think, what on earth is Where more is important than us? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what job opportunity is better yeah. than being here with us? And that must have felt like, like I can yeah. imagine just in those split seconds, this massive high and what we've just achieved. And yeah. it was an epic game. And that, yeah, they must have just going, where yeah. and why? Where are you going? And why do you want to leave? And, um, and then obviously when I told them that I was going to be um, a mum next year, it was the most um, bizarre response. They all just sat in their seats and didn't do anything. They just, they're in shock, I think. And um, Rose, the coach, actually had to say to the girls, get up and give her a hug. This is good news. It's, right. <laughs> it's not bad. Um, yeah. So they were all just in complete shock, I think. So right. it was just, it was the perfect way to obviously tell them, obviously get through the season without them knowing um, them knowing that I was pregnant playing and even Rose, the coach and the coaching staff, knowing that I was pregnant would have been, um, you know, I wouldn't have wanted them to really know that. Um, There's enough that you obviously have to take into account heading into a grand final. So that was um, something that they didn't have to deal with. So, yeah, it was a really nice way to obviously share it with such a a special group of girls. Yeah, and imagine, you know, a group that you you quite literally go into battle with, like you're going in and and doing some amazing things. Um, what was that grand final like? Because it was an incredible match to watch. Yeah. Oh, the, look, I think um, playing playing in a grand final and being a Queenslander and playing in front of Queensland fans, there's nothing quite like it. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's just so much passion um, about sport here in Queensland. And probably in the last few years, um, that's really... Um, come to the forefront with the Firebirds and and people getting behind us. So to play, you know, to walk out first of all in front of, you know, thirteen thousand screaming majority Queenslanders, um, is something within itself. But um, you know, just <laughs> I think looking back at twenty fifteen and looking at that grand final, we led for the last fourteen seconds of the game. So winning that game was, I suppose, a sense of disbelief in a way. Um, whereas I think this year. <laughs> um, 
the lead changed, I think, about 14 times during the whole game. So um, the only word at that final um, whistle of the game was probably relief. Um, So it was two very (laughs) different feelings from 2015 to 2016. Um, But, you know, it was just it's amazing to achieve something with such a special group of girls that have worked so hard and um, I always say it's it's like no other feeling that I've ever had it's like you just want to bottle it up and be able to experience that forever um, but they're the moments that you dream of from a little girl that you're going to play in front of a huge crowd you're going to it's going to go down to the wire it's going to be the most exciting game you know they're the they're the moments when you 10 and 11 years old and you're shooting in the backyard yeah. um, with your mum or your sister, they're the moments that you think about, like, this is to win the game in front of, you know, th- hundreds of of people and um, I'm going to win it. And that's, that's what you dream of from a young girl. So to live that out is just... Um, something that I definitely don't take for granted, that's for sure. Yeah, it must be magic. I'm sitting here with goosebumps just even thinking about because yeah, I've had those moments as a 10-year-old, absolutely. Yeah. How do you how do you centre yourself going into a grand final like that? Because I'm sure all of that, the hype and the excitement, as you say, you're in Queensland, you've got these Queenslanders backing you, you've got your team around you, you're coming off last year's win that was really, really close. Like how do you centre yourself to be able to do the job? Yeah, um... Oh, look, I think obviously there's experience that comes and plays a huge part of it. You know, you, early on in, in your first game of a grand final, there's very different emotions than what there there is when you've you've had that experience. I think I always like to think the bigger the occasion, the more reason to keep things very simple. And um, I, I don't know whether it was just my upbringing, um, you know, growing up in the in the country but um and the message from my parents from a young age was always it's just a game it's just a game of netball um and that probably came from my dad more than my mum and and mum used to say to dad yeah but um you know after a loss oh he'd say it's all right mate it was just a game and um and mum would say yeah but it's what she's worked so hard for you know that's her job that's her life that's what she does so she's she's going to get disappointed when there's a loss but that um that to me it is perspective I think and you know winning those two grand finals was amazing but the two years before those two grand finals we got to the grand final but we lost both of those grand finals um and that was severely disappointing but it's perspective and you know at the end of the day you've you've got to experience those challenges to know how good the wins are so um in terms of of heading into the biggest event or the biggest game of the season i just i just approach it with a, you know, I'm so grateful to be here. Um, I'm so excited to be here. This is, um, I'm doing what I love and this is just such a wonderful opportunity. And I'm confident that I've done everything that I can possibly do to put myself in the in the best situation along with my team to win this. But there's an element that's out of my control today. Um, and whatever happens, happens. I will do my very, very best. But at the end of the day, this is a game of netball. And there's a lot more things in life that are very, very much more important than this game of netball. So I think there's always, for me, that ability to... Um, bring it down a notch and not make it the biggest event of my life. It is exciting and it's big, but it's not the be all and end all. And I think that's kind of just 
been my approach with the big events of my life. Do you think that perspective has come with time? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I think you have some really hard lessons and um, you have some tough challenges and tough times and, you know, you question whether what you're doing is is right or whether the way you're going about it is right. Um, but life is full of those experiences and, um, you know, I, I definitely think that that definitely comes with experience, opportunity and time and understanding. Yeah. So you're talking about your upbringing and I, I understand you um, raised and farmed down in Darling Downs, yeah. is that right? Yeah. Um, what, was, what was your childhood like? What were some of your fondest memories of growing up on the farm? Um, I think for me, growing up in the country... It's not until I'm a little bit older now living in the city that I look back and go, gosh, I was so lucky to have that upbringing, to have that life. I took it for granted every single day that I was a kid, you know, I just didn't know any differently. I get home at 3.10 in the afternoon on the school bus and I'd scoff down afternoon tea and be gone for hours and hours. And my backyard, our backyard as kids was acres and acres big, you know, we had one rule that we had to be home by sunset and we could pretty much, you know, we'd be riding horses, riding motorbikes. Um, I had a, a love for animals. That was my thing from a very early age is that I just loved being surrounded by different animals and, and taking care of them and looking after them. So um, there wasn't too much homework that got done, to be completely honest, in those in those days, but homework on the farm, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's it was. Play and work and, to go and do. Yeah, and you know, I just I wouldn't change it for anything. And I, my little niece and nephew, um, four and two, are out there living on the the farm that we grew up on. And I spent the weekend with them, and I just looked at them and I thought, oh, you guys are just so lucky. You know, yeah. you don't understand what you've got out here. It's just, it's amazing. You. You learn so many skills, I think. You, you learn discipline. You learn how to um, look after things and responsibility from a very early young, young age. And I think the other thing is you learn how to deal with people from a very young age of all different ages. Um, you know, as a young kid growing up, I just remember our next door neighbours would just sort of be like a revolving door. You just have people calling in. So from an early age, you have that ability to have conversation with people of all different ages and Yeah, you've experience. got adults, you've got kids of all different ages. Yeah, yeah so yeah. Um, so exceptionally lucky to to have that lifestyle growing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking looking ahead, um, are there pieces of that that you want for your your child, your children? Yeah, mm. definitely. You know, obviously, um, we live here in Brisbane, and my husband. <laughs> isn't a country boy. So, yeah. um, and, you know, it's all fantastic to say living in the country is a wonderful thing, but it can be a pretty um, tough existence as well, living life on the land and making a living off the land. Um, it can, you know, there's droughts and, and tough times and prices and it's it's one environment, one occupation that you're very much working against things that you're in no control of. So, um, I don't ever think that we would ever be able to move out there and live in existence off the land. Um, all of our opportunities are here in the city, but for us, um, or for me in particular, it's very important that our children will have that exposure to, you know, the farm and understanding 
how it functions and and what the way of of life is in the country for many people. So it, that will be a huge influence in our children's life for sure. Yeah, beautiful. So growing up on the farm, um, yeah, you, having that, that playground, you know, being your whole backyard, um, I understand that you actually didn't even take up netball until you were about 13, is that correct? Yeah, I was a bit of a late bloomer to, to start. I don't even know if you can call me a late bloomer when I first started playing. Um, I, I played a lot of sport as a kid. I was um, ultra competitive and whether that was because I had a, a sister three years older than me, I just constantly wanted to be as good if not better than her. So yeah. The reason I was introduced to netball was actually through Carla. She had signed up to play um at the Scots PGC College in Warwick and um, I was changing from Allera State Primary School to to head up to Year 8 at Scots. And, um, yeah, I was all arms and legs and had had a big growth spurt and was probably about as tall as what I am now, which is about six foot one and the netball. Not awkward at all, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I I didn't really have too much control of my limbs. So um, whoever thought that I would be half decent at netball, um, I often say they must have, um, you know, they obviously could see past all the, the arms and legs <laughs> um, and was introduced to netball at 13 years of age after doing a lot of athletics and swimming and tennis as a youngster. But um, probably from the first game of netball that I played, I just uh, fell in love with this game. I just thought, how have I not found this game sooner? You know, it was just fantastic. I loved every second of it. What did you love about it? um, I just, I loved the fact probably the biggest thing was being involved in a team. I particularly wish I was really shy as a teenager. So working in a team and having that exposure to others that when you did something well, you know, it was praised and um, you were encouraged to um, continue on and to do better and do more. So I think that played a huge, had a huge impact on me. Um, And I just loved the game. I loved how fast it was. I loved the skill. I loved um, defensively trying to win ball um, for my for my team. I just I just loved the game. It was it was it didn't compare to swimming. It didn't compare to athletics. Um, I just thought that this game is the best thing ever. And so was that it? Like in terms of that was the game you were going to be playing? Yeah, it was. I um I came home from my first season of netball at Scots and told mum that I was going to at 13 years of age. I told her I was going to play for Queensland and for Australia, um, and that was my dream. And that's what, what I. What did your mum say? Um, she was funny. She her response to me was, "Oh, do you know how many girls play netball in Australia?" <laughs> oh, <laughs> mum, right? Just, yeah, just keeping keep in perspective. <laughs> Um, do you know how many girls play netball in Australia? And I said, oh, there's, I know there's a few. She goes, oh, there's like hundreds of thousands, Laura. <laughs> she goes, and do you know how many girls play for the Australian netball team? She said, there's only 12. So you want to be one of those 12? And and I said, yeah, that's what I want to do, you know. just And at that point in time, I didn't really, I suppose, click on to what mum was trying to get at. I just had this idea in my head that that's what I was going to do. And um, and I suppose as a kid, even now, to a certain extent, I was a bit of a dreamer in a way and, and just wanted to, 
you know, if I said I was going to do something, I was just, that was going to happen. So in my head, that's that's what I thought was going to happen. And yeah, that's how it all began. So do you think, because um, you were talking about, you know, it, being all limbs in that kind of space, but kind of picking it up and, and learning it, was it something that came naturally? Was it dedication? Was it a combination of the two? Um, I think a little bit, yeah, definitely a combination of the two. Um, you know, for me, I, I was obviously instilled, I had that competitive spirit instilled into me. So there was always that will to win at no matter what cost. Um, it didn't matter if it was a fun game. I was only content if, if I won. Um, so, um, I suppose, yeah, there was definitely, um, that part of it that just, made it so thrilling for me. Um, but, you know, I think, yeah, it was it was just that I'd, I'd found this game. I loved the rules. Um, I wanted to win um, and I'd do whatever it took to, to be good at it. Um, but, yeah, it, it definitely, I, I think I had a certain amount of natural athletic ability, um, you know, whatever sport I did, I... I I could pick it up and do it, um, but in terms of having refined skill and and being an absolute gun at it early on was not the case. And um, because I had started playing a little bit later than most people in those early days, it took me a lot longer to develop the basic skill set than what some people had from yeah. a, a young age. You got to put your foot down. You can't run with the ball like oh, <laughs> yeah, in the rules. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. So obviously that started to get noticed by other people because I understand you. Um, you know, under seventeens, you were playing for Queensland. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. So I was. Um, I was 16 when I got selected in the under-17s Queensland school girls team and um, it was actually the, the state team and, um, yeah, that was my first experience playing for, for Queensland um, and it's funny, you know, when I was 13 and said that that's what I wanted to do from a, a young age, um, then when that opportunity came, I went, oh, hang on a minute, this means I've got to train harder and I've got to, <laughs> I've got to leave What home am I signing and, up for? <laughs> yeah, I've got to step outside my comfort zone. And as I mentioned, I was particularly shy and um, pretty self-conscious. So that was a huge step for me. And I remember thinking, oh, maybe this isn't what I want to do. Um, you know, I remember coming to Brisbane and walking into the trials and all the girls wearing Nike and Adidas and Lorna Jane. And there I was in my Canterbury ruggers right. and my Bond bon bon singlet. <laughs> Yeah. And I was a fish out of water, you know, but yeah. um, and I felt totally uncomfortable. But then there was one point during those selection camps, and that was the match play, that it was just like, let me at it, you know, I'm I'm going to have a crack here, and I'm just as good as as that girl. And I just had this competitive desire to beat her and to win. And um, I think that's obviously, as I say, is what sort of kept me in pretty good stead moving forward is just, you know, as much as I didn't want to be there at times and didn't like the idea of all the things that I had to do to get there, that competitiveness was the one thing that kept driving me. Yeah, so there's going to be sacrifice along the way, but it sounds like there was a fire burning in there to go yeah. or almost a curiosity of how far, yeah. how much better and how much could this be kind of pushed forward. Yeah, that's right. So so obviously you went um, down to Canberra, uh, were involved in the AIS and really got immersed in, in all things um, netball. 
and um, and had the call call up to come back and play for the Firebirds. What was that conversation like? Yeah, oh, amazing, you know, um, getting the phone call from Vicky Wilson to say come back and play um, for the Firebirds was amazing. That was in the first call I received was in 2007. Um, and I thought this is amazing, you know, I could get to go home to Queensland Um I get to play for the Firebirds, a team that I've dreamt of playing for for so long. Um, But then it was a really difficult situation because I knew had I've come back to Queensland that year, I would have been sitting on the bench behind um, the goalkeeper who was playing at the time. Um, So I wouldn't have had that exposure out on court. And I remember um, there was the opportunity for me to stay on for another year down at the AIS. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, you know, saying no to Vicky Wilson potentially will mean that I won't get another opportunity next year when I'll be ready to leave the AIS. But if I take this opportunity now, I'm going to be sitting on the bench where I can play here and, and have that exposure out on court. And I remember Norma Plummer was um, head of the netball program at the AIS. She was the 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 Australian Diamonds captain at that time and she's saying you need to stay on here for a year and Vicky's saying you need to come home for a year so for an 18 year old 19 year old you know I was um dealing with two of the toughest women in the netball world and um, trying to toss up and work out what exactly I was going to do and I decided to stay in Canberra for another year which was the best opportunity and situation for me and luckily I was able to come back in 2008 and play for the Firebirds and um, yeah I mean the playing being a Firebird was what I wanted to do from 13 years of age so to finally get that opportunity um, to be called by Vicky to get that dress and and be a part of something exciting and such an awesome bunch of girls. I think that was the one thing that struck me when I came back to the Firebirds was how family orientated the team was. Um, And it was just, you know, a really nice thing for me to experience at, you know, 19, 20 years of age. So coming back into a family by the sounds of it. Yeah. And then you went on to become the captain of the Firebirds. What was, what were the leadership qualities do you think that, um, that you had that people saw? Um, uh, I actually probably, I couldn't tell you early on. I didn't know what people <laughs> yeah, saw well, me, yeah. to be honest, um, because I, I Was sort it of... Was a surprise? To... It, well, well, it sort of came through a situation that were, uh, yeah, a predicament that wasn't a nice predicament. Our current captain, Lauren Nurse, um, went down with a, a season-ending knee injury, um, so... That meant that a captain had to be put in that position for Lauren's absence and, and that was me. So I probably found my myself in that position through fault early on. Um, and, you know, I had had no leadership experience there, um, but obviously had learnt off of Loz and, and watched how she went about things and had been also in the Australian team as well. So had been learning off, you know, the likes of Ashura McMahon and, and observing so closely those senior players and how they went about things. And I think that's a big thing with leadership. Um, when you find yourself in that position, the last thing that you have to expect of yourself is to be an expert. And I think if you believe you're an expert, um, you have a very um, rude awakening and you've got to grow with the team and the team has to grow with you through, um, you know, that introduction into leadership. And I think the biggest thing about leadership is something that I I didn't necessarily learn very early on, but learnt 
as I got more and more exposure to that role um, was that, yes, you've been exposed to great leaders, but you should never try to be exactly like somebody else. Um, You're in that position because people see you in that light and people want you to represent them. Um, And at the end of the day, what you've done prior to has got you to that point. So you have to understand that leadership is about certain values and behaviours and and morals and standards, but you've got to put your spin on it um, and you've got to remain true to yourself through the whole process. Has that been hard to do? Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, leadership is a really difficult thing. Um, It's impossible to always keep everyone happy and and to remain happy yourself. You know, you, you have some really difficult challenges along the way, but those difficult challenges, and it hasn't just been in leadership, but all my experiences, those difficult challenges in a team, in leadership, are the times that you learn the most about yourself and you learn the most moving forward. If everything is just cruisy and easy, you just don't know what you're capable of. You really have to be pushed to your to your extremes and really, you know, to the brink of even questioning whether you're capable of doing these things to fully understand what you are capable of. So whenever there's a really um, difficult challenge or a tough time, whether it was leadership, I used to think this is just teaching me more about myself and more about this role and I'm going to, you know, keep a really open mind to it. Um and I'm, I'm going to learn as much as I possibly can from it. But you've also got to um, respect yourself in a way too. And you can't be walked all over, you know, you have to know when enough is enough. And, and at the end of the day, your health and, and well-being as a person um, is really important as well. And, and you have to look after yourselves in that role because it's very easy to be picked and pulled apart. So um, you've got to look after yourself in the process and, and make sure that you're your healthiest version to be able to deal with everything else that's that's potentially happening. So, so true, because if you're not at your peak, how you turn up or how you have a tough conversation with someone goes really, really differently if you haven't slept for four nights versus if you're really switched on. So what are the ways that you look after yourself? Do you have any kind of, I guess, non-negotiables or or even, um, this is probably second to the question, are there any signs when you go, actually, I'm not the best version of myself today? Yeah, oh, for sure. Um, I I know probably um, when I'm in probably my most fragile or um, toughest time is when I'm sort of taking everything out on my family and the people that are closest to me and barking at them. And they always got the worst, right? Husband, yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, the people that are closest to you cop it because. Yeah. Um, they see you at your absolute best and they see you at your worst and you put on this brave face for everyone. And, you <laughs> and know, they're the brave ones that tell you and yeah, then they cop it again. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. They're the ones that prop you up and, yeah. and send you out again and, you know, you're out doing whatever you've got to do, whether it's work or appearances and you smile and then you get home and you just, I suppose, turn into this different personality in a way. It's like a split personality. So I, I know the warning signs for me. Um, is when I'm I'm barking at the people that are close to me, um, and it's it's actually really important for me 
to just to to stop and and have a bit of a moment where um, I feel like everything is totally out of balance. I always think of it as a pair of scales that um, are nice and, and level and square and sitting perfectly uh, opposed to one of the, the weights or one of the scales being way up in the air and the other one, you know, hitting the hitting the floor Grand, or, yeah. and I just think you know it's it's about what can I do to bring that back to being that um that equal balance and um, what what helps you with that like what um, your... for me it, it is actually spending time with my family and not giving myself to everyone else that potentially is asking of of things from me and understanding that my family to me is the most important people in my life. They give me the most. They're the ones that care the most about me and they're there for me when I have the toughest time. So um, they're the people that make me feel the best about myself. So if I haven't had exposure to them or if I haven't been around them, then I feel like I'm not doing the right thing by them or by myself. So I take time to to go up to the farm and get away from the busyness and forget about my phone and, um, you know, just have conversation and, and um, go for a walk and with my dog and, and just do things that make me so happy about being me and, and having thinking time rather than being in my car running from one place to the another, um, you know, on the phone, organising things, running around is the thing that probably slowly, slowly chips away at me. Um, so it's, it's time for me to, you know, I know when it's time for me to sort of stop, go, yep, I'm out. <laughs> I'm yep. out for a little bit. Yep. Say no. I'll see you next week. You know, you got to yeah. say no. That's exactly yeah. right. You've got to learn how to say no because people will continue to take and take and take from you. Um, and you have to be the one that is strong enough to say no. And, and I always think you're better to say no to somebody than to say yes and rock up and not be the best that you can be for them. You're letting them down if you rock up at 50% of your capability rather than not being there at all. And you mutter under your breath and you're resenting it anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that ability to say no and to actually be okay if there's pushback, if mm. people hear the no and go, oh, yeah, but you kind of did that last year and you're not mm. doing it this year, but if you know yourself well enough. Clearly family is such a strong connection for you. And um, you were describing before you've been through a, a whole range of different challenges. One of those challenges was was obviously losing your your father um, three years ago. What was your relationship like with your dad? Yeah, um, oh, dad. Even now, when people say, "Oh, who who's your biggest role model?" You know, dad was my my number one, and still is my number one. He um, he was the most phenomenal person that I've ever known, have um, ever been exposed to. He just, he was, um, you know, he just loved what he did. And I think um, he was passionate about what he did. So I grew up looking at someone who just absolutely loved life and loved that he was a farmer. And yeah, there were tough days, but he just, he was forever grateful for doing what he loved. So that was the, the first thing about him that I admired so much. And um, just his ability, his kindness, um, he, he was a exceptionally honest kind and genuine person and he would put everyone else um, before himself and and you know he was so reliable for people to call on and 
um, you know, even now when I say, oh, you know, Ross Skites or Ross was my father, people will instantly go, he was just the most wonderful man. Like for knowing him, you were a better person. And um, so, you know, obviously. That must be lovely to hear now. Yeah, you know, and even when we had him, people just, you know, you'd go down the street and, oh, Ross, Ross helped us out the other day. You know, he was just sensational and just constantly hearing that feedback about about your dad, you know, and I obviously in 2013 when we lost him and it was a sudden accident and tragic loss, um, obviously nothing prepares you for that. But I often think, you know, I was exposed to the most wonderful man in my life for 24 years and there's a lot of people out there that grow up without a father figure or, you know, have a father figure that's there but is absent. (laughs) And you just think, you know, yeah, I don't have him in my life anymore, but 24 years of being exposed and and learning from a wonderful person is so much better than what a lot of people get. So for that, I'm I'm truly grateful. Obviously, yeah, his legacy still carries on very strongly. Yeah, yeah. he had a, like he had a lot of very strong values and he made them very clear to us as kids growing up. So I think you know that's we were exposed to that and and we knew you know even now I think oh I can't do that. I just know that would disappoint dad so much and it's just that that strong presence that he had with us and he would never raise his voice or get angry but he just had this ability to get his message across. Um, in a really subtle way. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. At that time, back in 2013, was there a part of you that kind of went, I'll give up the netball, I'll, I'll just reconnect and, and come back to family? And I guess what what impacted that decision to stay? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely, you know, nothing prepares you for that moment. And um, knowing that I was in Brisbane, my family were on the farm, um, going, oh, my gosh, what what does mum do now? Mum has had dad for her whole life, you know. You know, what do we do with how do we support mum through this? Um And that's, yeah, there was definitely a point where I thought, once again, netball is not my priority in life, it's my family. Um, But at the same time, after speaking with mum, you know, netball was this other family for me and and this family that I could go to and kind of escape for a couple of hours a day from all the um, emotion that you're going through of of when you lose a loved one. So um, I returned to netball two weeks after losing dad. And and I think, you know, speaking with mum, that was what dad would have, would have wanted me to do. It wasn't about, um, you know, sitting around and feeling sorry for yourself and wishing that it didn't happen because these things do happen and that's life. And you've got to obviously grieve and deal with it, but you've also got to the world and doesn't and people don't wait for you and and you've got to you know you've got to get back up and you've got to dust yourself off and you've got to have have another crack and that was a big thing that um you know he was all about was you just got to get back up, get back up and dust yourself off and and go again yeah have another crack and yeah. your crack was captaincy of Australian netball team at that time is that right like, so you yeah. stepped into that role yeah in um. In September of 2013, um, there was the opportunity to 
pick a new leadership group for the Diamonds. Um, one of the, the current captain had retired. So um, it was a bit of an interesting process where we had to do a vote. And once again, you know, I'd had the experience at the Firebirds in leadership, but I thought there was no chance of me being ready to do the, the next step at the national level. Um, but we did a players vote and I had the support of all the girls in that room. And for me, that was the turning point, um, hearing each girl say my name and to see me in that role. And it was a really um, humbling, amazing experience. And that was for me, when you know you've got the players vote, um, when you know the players want you there representing them, um, that's the biggest thing. If the coach wanted me to be the captain, but none of the players saw me in that role, that's a huge concern. And you would never obviously take that on. But um, when you've got the players backing you and and um, wanting you to, to step up, um, yeah, I mean, it was probably a, a whirlwind year, so many different emotions. But I think, um, you know, those tough times, as I've said, um, is where the most growth happens in yourself and where you, you learn the most about yourself. Yeah, stepping up and saying, okay, I'll have a crack at this now yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. How would you define your leadership style? You were talking about you need to do it your way. So, so yeah. yeah. Um, look, I think my leadership style is is all about making everyone feel exceptionally equal and, and welcome um, and empowering everyone in the team, whether they're more experienced than you or whether they're the youngster in the team, to be the best version of themselves. That's probably the one thing that I always say is, um, you know, just if you can just be the best version of yourself, then that's that is leadership in a nutshell is making everybody feel um, like they can achieve and be the best that they can possibly be. So making making the environment very equal, um, making the environment fun is a huge thing. You know, if people aren't having fun, then what's the point of being there? Um, but then also knowing um, what you stand for as a team and, and what you're there to do, and that's to obviously win. Um, and there's time for fun and, and all the bits and pieces that happen with it, but um, you've got a job to do at the same time and and how you're going to go about that job and, and what you stand for as a team and how you want others to view you um, as a team and as an individual and making people very, very clear about those things and giving people in the team different roles and jobs to do, um, I believe is um, makes them feel empowered, makes them feel like they're bigger than just a team member. They're actually contributing to, to this team, to all the cogs going in the same direction. So um, I still don't know probably a quarter of, <laughs> of what there is to know about leadership. Um, I've learnt a lot, um, but, you know, there's still, it's still a, a big thing to get your head around and um, I'm just grateful that I've worked with some pretty amazing women, um, both at the Firebirds and the Diamonds and have learned a lot off of them in the process. Yeah. So obviously not only playing, but having led at such a high level. Um, and then as of, um, this year after the grand final, 
and not playing, obviously um, stepping aside from that. Has that actually been hard just from a, you know, I imagine your your time was so consumed by training and playing. Mm. How, how has that transition been? Yeah, um, you know, it, it has been a, a big change. Um, but at the same time, I've obviously got something now in my life with Mark that's so super exciting and that's the um, thought of becoming a mother. So um, I think... There's just the way that my my body has changed, the way I've felt within myself. I'm going, how on earth did I go to training twice a day? You know, like I just think, <laughs> oh, gosh. So the girls went on tour and I thought for one, like there wasn't any part of me where it's like, oh, gosh, I wish I was on tour just because I physically felt like I couldn't, yeah, right. you know, do yep. it. My yeah, body was, to it. <laughs> yeah, let them do it. I'm no use to them. So, um <laughs> I think that excitement of something else that's taken the place of netball um, is is just has been amazing. Um, watching the girls play was tough. Um, I think I got more nervous watching them play than actually being a part of of the game myself. Um, but you know, I I just love the game of netball, and it's given me so so very much in my life. And um, for me, it's about I'll always be involved in the game, no matter if I'm not playing or whatever I'm doing. Um, I kind of always feel like I'm forever in debt to netball. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, you've spoken so much about the importance of family and now starting your own family. Um, thinking ahead in that that transition of, you know, being, um, you know, having your job and, and being busy, how do you see that or, you know, what are some of your thoughts around that transitioning of being a mum while still keeping an identity of who you are in that space? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting and it's a question that until it happens for me, I, I don't know how um, how I, I will go with it all. Um, no doubt I'll struggle big time and, and go, oh, my gosh, you know, this is the hardest thing I've ever done because that's <laughs> all you sleepless hear from nights. people. <laughs> yeah, oh, and I do amazing. love my sleep. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think um, watching how nurturing and having mum um, as a mother figure, she was just always there for us and, you know, that little baby, whatever we have, will be um, my priority and Mark's priority and no longer is it our agenda but it's someone else's agenda and on someone else's watch. So um, I'm prepared to, you know, once again say no to people and say no to things that will take the priority away from that little one early on. Um, but at the same time, um, I need to remain busy. I need to remain involved and putting myself in situations that make myself uncomfortable in a way because um, that's how you continue to learn and grow and develop. So um, for me, it's it's finding that balance, which will be the really tricky part. Um, and I don't know how I'm going to go with that, but I know that I want to... I want our child to be my priority, but I don't want to um, give away that identity that I've had and, you know, that, um, I suppose, life that I've had. I still want to be actively involved doing things and, and having my own little escape as well. So it'd be really interesting to to see 
how it all happens and and how I go with it all. Yeah, navigate navigate it as you go. And, yeah. and look, I don't think you're alone. I think a lot of um, you know working working mums, working working women are in that kind of boat as well. Yeah. So the name of this podcast is called Standout Life. If I offer that term up to you, what does it mean to you to live a standout life? Um, do you know, I just from a young age um, was told from dad to to do what you love to do. Um, and to me, when you talk about standout life, a standout life is you being happy with what you're doing and loving what you're doing. And, you know, if you're doing something that is hard that you can't get out of bed in the morning for because you're not motivated to do it, then that's alarm bells. I just think a standout life is is um, doing every day what you love and it's not it's not work. You're not going to work. You're just doing what you love to do. And that's what I encourage people. What Everyone has got a skill set. Everyone is great at something. Um, the challenge is finding out what is what it is that you're good at and what you can do better than anybody else and pursuing that and making the most of that skill and um, living a standout life using that skill. Thank you, Laura. It's been so great to chat with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd love it if you could take a few moments, pop over to iTunes and give this podcast a quick rating so that we can continue to share these conversations with people around the world. This podcast was recorded and mixed by David Gaylard at Chemistry, music by Michael Dixon. As always, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life.